Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show, where today, Denny Carter and I, I am Patrick Darty, will be previewing the AFC West with the help of Chiefs analyst Pete Sweeney and ABC Denver's Troy Rink. Pete is going to join us right here off the jump. Well, Troy will be around in 40 or so minutes, and Pete, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't welcome in someone to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and then not immediately ask about Kadarius Toney, the only player who matters in fantasy football yep. and, frankly, real football, someone who gets... <laughs> Talked about a lot compared uh, to his like real life accomplishments so far, but it's because everyone can see the really rare athleticism, the really rare yeah. football ability he has. But he was already one of fantasy football's most polarizing players before training camp started. Now he already has a knee tweak, whatever that means. How serious are you hearing the injury might be? You might not have any information on that. And if he is healthy, what realistically will Tony's role be in week one? Yeah, this is the point that we're all watching along with the Chris Jones. Will he show up? Will he not show up on on the other side? But you start first full team practice yesterday on on Sunday, and within 10 minutes, uh, the caveat rears its ugly head of, man, Tony is so talented, but when is he going to be available? And took him right off the field. He was shagging punts, and apparently something happened with his knee. They wanted to back off seems like there were some tests done overnight. The media received a message today that there would be more information provided by Andy Reid on Tuesday. So we should have a little bit more clarity. But then what was interesting was Travis Kelsey was asked about what the Chiefs will miss with Tony shortly following the practice. And he kind of hinted at the fact that maybe this isn't a day-to-day thing, but maybe a week-to-week thing. And uh, from poking around and, and things that I have heard. I, I think this is something that might cost him a couple of weeks, but there is optimism that by the time the regular season starts, you know, 40 plus days from now, he's all right. Uh, but I, I think you have to think about the idea of now, let's say the timeline is three, four weeks. Let's say it is all of training camp. The Chiefs are preparing to play this entire campaign and they have to do so now without Kadarius Tony And, with the mystery surrounding Tony, don't you start to build maybe your game plan a little bit more leaning into the Travis Kelsey's, the Noah Gray's of the world? Do you start to lean into maybe a little bit of Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore from a fantasy perspective? It's suddenly Rasheed Rice, the rookie, 
relevant in Kansas City because they are pivoting in a way where maybe it was going to be Tony centric and maybe you have to do other things now. So it remains something to monitor. But I think my messaging, what I feel about the situation is this isn't a day to day thing like we might have thought yesterday. This feels much more like a week to week. Let's see type of thing, which is Mm -hmm. never the words you want to see when you're talking about fantasy football. Yeah, Pete, uh, we talked a lot about Kadarius Tony on this show this offseason because he's so tantalizing from a fantasy standpoint. He's so productive on a per snap and per route basis, and I'm sure you know this. Um, if he is fully healthy to start the season, can we bank on him having a full complement of snaps in this offense? I know in the Super Bowl, he, I think he got nine nine snaps, and you know yeah. he did, did well in those nine snaps, but are we still talking about a part-time player or is he a full-time player? the typical returning players is when they're first coming back into the lineup, they don't bank necessarily on the player getting through a full game. If you go back and look to the snap counts of a Juju Smith Schuster, when he was coming back from that concussion last year, he mm-hmm. eased him in and he tends to do that with all injuries. So let's, again, let's try to use a hypothetical and say, Tony misses a couple weeks, three, four weeks, and is ready just in time for week one. I don't know if he's going to get that full 100% uh, amount of snaps that he would have gotten had he had, let's say, a healthy training camp. Now you right. get to two or three weeks and he's healthy and the Chiefs feel like they can rely on him, him even more, then he starts becoming a much bigger part of the game plan. The Chiefs, in a, in a sneaky way, use snap counts uh, more th- more so than they like to let on, especially dealing with players coming off of injury, and I think you see that in this case. I mean, we, sh- we need to stop talking about Kadarius Tony. That's all we ever <laughs> want to talk about. I mean, is there a sense that the Chiefs will just never trust this guy as like a full-time player and are going to view him more as like a packages-type player and almost like yeah. a contributions are a bonus-type player? Yeah, iPad, I, I think they want to. I think they want him to be the number one receiver. This is something that they've leaned into all offseason. You've seen reports floated out that this is going to be Kadarius Tony's year to go from that role play gadget type, one play a game type guy to someone you can rely on. And it's always with the, well, if he's healthy. And you you try to be careful with that. I, I try to be careful with that as a Chiefs writer, as a writer in the NFL, about labeling a player as injury prone, especially young, because when they're young, sometimes unluckiness happens and they've only had two opportunities, maybe two seasons, and they got injured both seasons and suddenly they're injury prone. But players can get into their third season and not be injured for several years. And then suddenly that stigma goes away. Uh, But with Tony, it's just hard to avoid because now you're here in the third season. He had injury problems his first year, injury problems his second year. And it's crazy. Not even 10 minutes into the workout, he's, he's injured again. So I think if he can be healthy, which he, Unfortunately, again, he has not proven to this point. I think the Chiefs want him to be that. Uh, but until he shows that he can you know, last a month or two, durable in the NFL, and you get eight games started or appearances in his stat column, it's just hard for, that, I think, anyone to feel like they can lean into him as this reliable guy that they can count on. Pete, you already mentioned some of these other names. But beyond Tony, the Chiefs receivers fantasy managers want to know about are second-year pro Sky Moore, second-round rookie – Rasheed Rice. We know all about Moore's shaky rookie year and then you know, kind of a little bit of Super Bowl redemption, really strong offseason reviews from the coaching staff, from the Chiefs media too. Uh, how has Sky Moore looked? What do you believe his upside is? Would you call him like the number two receiver in this offense, knowing that Marquez Valdez-Scantling is like a starting receiver, but kind of like a role player, even though he's out there so much? Like, just give us the lowdown on Sky Moore heading into 2023. 
Yeah, I'll start with quickly with that Marquez Valdez Scantling point. I think when Marquez first arrived in Kansas City, the storyline surrounding him was like, well, Green Bay used him more to stretch the field. He's going to be this all around receiver here in, in KC. And mm-hmm. uh, it never really came to fruition. He was more of that guy who stretched the field in, in Kansas City. And we ran this on arrowheadpride.com. We've been offering questions out to the fan base, and we'll answer them and then let people answer in the comments. Who leads the wide receiver room? So take Travis Kelsey out of it. Who leads the wide receiver room in yardage this year? My answer was Sky Moore, and this was before Tony got hurt. I didn't trust Tony to play more than 13 and a half games if you're trying to play the over-under game, and so that's four less opportunities for uh, Tony to beat more in yardage. And I, I, I tend to like – MBS is more of that guy who stretches the field. What does that lead you to? It leads you to Sky Moore, who I think can maybe counteract Travis Kelsey as that other option on the other side of these formations where he is showing off that elite release off the line of scrimmage on these quick routes and really live as like this slot guy for Patrick Mahomes when maybe Travis Kelsey is getting doubled or bracketed and has too much attention. Sky Moore, I think, is going to be that guy, that chain mover. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sky Moore under the radar leads the Chiefs receivers in yardage this year because of the Tony injury question, not being able to play a full bevy of games. Because I think Marquez Valdez Scantling kind of will live always in that six to eight hundred range, where the most impressive part of about his game is the yards per reception, because usually it's like seventeen or eighteen. Where Sky Moore, to me, I think, especially in the second year, is going to get that volume. Do you think Moore profiles as the full-time slot receiver? Because obviously Juju's gone. Uh, last year, you know, just looking at Sky Moore's numbers, the only real success he had was actually out of the slot, and he seemed to be very good from the slot and targeted pretty often from the slot. So, do you think that's where he'll be, or do you think he'll be around the moved around formation? Well, a- Andy Reid, including the tight ends and the running backs, likes to move everybody all over the line, and so I, I know what you're saying, where he did have more of the success outside, but I, I just tend to think the Chiefs have other options where Kadarius is healthy. You have MBS, Rasheed Rice is. Uh, the rookie who's, a, a, I think, a little bit profiles more so as an outside guy where I think uh, you lose Juju, so someone has to fill that void, and I think they're challenging Sky Moore to do that where he can become that go-to target when you know Kelsey has a little bit more attention than than he might ha- not have on, on other plays. And I just think you look at the hands, you look at, I think, the speed after the catch with, with Sky Moore. To me, I'm, I'm probably bullish most on him in the wide receiver room for this year. And I, it m- might be rice with other head coaches, but we have seen that it usually takes a year for a rookie to really get acclimated in the Andy Reid system. I like Rasheed Rice and a Jody Forson most more so in, in the red zone than, than I do for, okay, a complete uh, fantasy player with production. One more receiver question. It is in such an unsettled group. You know, fantasy managers kind of start getting excited about the guys on the periphery, just looking for upside wherever they might find it, especially with Patrick Mahomes, maybe already. I'm going to say maybe the greatest player in NFL history, quarterback. <laughs> and Chiefs players are talking about Richie James. Fantasy managers talk about Justin Ross. Is there anything to either one of those? Or are they just more, they're going to be role players. They might get on the field, but it's not going right. to translate to box score production. I think the Chiefs believe in all these players. Like I, I think they feel like Justin Ross is somebody, again, he has the Tony thing where if he's able to stay healthy, they feel like they might have got one with Justin Ross. When it comes to 
the running backs, I, I kind of see this year being once again, Isaiah Pacheco uh, and Jarek McKinnon as that one, two, uh, Jarek McKinnon is the best pass blocker in that room. And what I, I think the Chiefs see right now is Daneric Prince, who they brought in as an undrafted free agent out of Tulsa. If you're at camp, you know, I'm, I'm on the campus right now. Daneric Prince is not dropping a pass. The problem that you're going to run into is you can catch all the balls in the world. If you can't pass protect Patrick Mahomes, that is going to prevent the Chiefs from putting him in right away. So I think this is a learning year for Daneric Prince. He's going to be the kick returner on this team. Learn from Jarek McKinnon. So it's Pacheco and McKinnon. By the way, I think Pacheco will be good to go week one. I know there had been some questions about that, but Pacheco and then McKinnon. McKinnon takes Prince under his wing. Maybe next year, you know, in some of those dynasty leagues, it mm -hmm. is Pacheco and Prince where McKinnon's 31. I can see this maybe being his last year, him being with another team. And then Clyde is your change of pace back this year. I actually think Clyde gets more touches than people want to realize right now, but I, I do think it is more of a change of pace back, a guy that is going to come in if one of the top two uh, were to get injured, uh, but I think mm -hmm. he'll be on this team as well. Again, next year, maybe McKinnon and, and Clyde are elsewhere, and it's more so Pacheco and Prince. You're right, Pete, in that we, we as fantasy managers do not want to acknowledge that CDH could be a factor in this backfield. <laughs> no. uh, we would rather it be a little more simple with Pacheco uh, and, uh, and then McKinnon as the pass catcher. Now, the, the, the key for upside for Pacheco this year is, especially in PPR formats, uh, is the pass catching. And he really didn't run a lot of routes last year, really wasn't involved as a pass catcher, as good as he was as a rusher, especially late in the season. Is there any path to him getting more targets or is that just kind of locked down by McKinnon or whoever, CEH or whoever would take on that, that pass catching role? Well, in talking to him, he wants to see more targets in, in the pass game. I mean, if it was up to Isaiah Pacheco, he'd be on the field for every single play. I mean, that that is his mentality. And he came into his own, I think, a little bit in the pass game at the end of last year. You know, it's do the Chiefs trust him as a pass protector. Right now he's wearing a yellow jersey at camp. So when they mm -hmm. start these drills where, you know, they'll, they'll go um, – uh, a linebacker versus a running back, uh, you know, to try to try to get to the cone, the pass blocking drills. I don't know if Pacheco is going to be able, able to participate until later on in camp. He's got to prove that part of his game before the Chiefs, I think, lean into him as an every single down back. Until then, you're going to see Jarek McKinnon, uh, who really shined last year at the end of last season, I think, be that guy on on third down. But it, it's developing. I just it's hard for me to expect that at the beginning of the year. Pete, was there anything to the Chiefs waiting so long to resign McKinnon, or is that just kind of salary cap games was already kind of like a handshake agreement there. Cause fantasy managers were trying to cling to, Oh, well, they let Jarek McKinnon sit on the open market for two months. Or is that just more of kind of a formality? And talking to McKinnon when he came back, it, you got the the sense that it was this, it's always can was Kansas city type of, of deal. It, I, I wouldn't read into it that much. He came um, late last year. I mean, when you, these guys get to be in their late 20s and, and early 30s, what you start to see is them just making sure that they consider all options. And so I think you you saw that from McKinnon. He wanted to see what's out there. Uh, if you ask uh, Kareem Hunt or Leonard Fournette or Dalvin Cook, they'll tell you not much. And so I think he thought the best uh, scenario for him was to come back in Kansas City where he really thrived. I mean, he, he had one of the better years of his career, if not the best year of his career, especially when it came to those touchdowns. And so why not run it back with Kansas City, continue to mentor these guys? I'm not sure how much longer he plays. Um, he's got an amazing story, missed two years, and somehow was able to still be productive after that. Uh, and I think he's happy here in Kansas City, and I think he's going to have a real role. Pete, we know you got to get out of here, but just anyone that we did not mention that you think needs to be mentioned, you you I couldn't help yeah. but notice you mentioned Noah Gray. 
Um, yeah. Is there any players we did not get to that you think are worth a mention? I think that uh, that might be the biggest uh, under the radar fantasy player, maybe potentially uh, for Kansas City is Noah Gray this year, because I think everybody wants to look at the wide receivers and say, okay, which one of these guys is going to replace Juju Smith-Schuster? I think hidden in that is what Noah Gray did, especially toward the end of last year. It really has the trust of Patrick Mahomes. If you look at the stats uh, and and go through all of last year, every regular season and every playoff game, Noah Gray has at least one target. I tend to think that that is going to increase in 2023. And Andy Reid always adapts to the players that he has. So let's say, okay, um, now Kadarius Tony is down. He was supposed to be the number one wide receiver. People had questions about that even when he, when he was healthy. Could Sky Moore be that in the second year? Um, like who's going to be that option after Travis Kelsey? What Andy Reid will do is like say, okay, we're going to run uh, 21 and just have two tight ends on the field and say, okay, Noah Gray is going to be that guy for us. And he shows it. I mean, he catches everything that that I, I is thrown to him by Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes trusts him in big spots. Andy Reid has been itching to, I think, use multiple tight ends for a couple of years now. And I just think it's one of these guys that – could be interesting, especially if the Chiefs in certain games and maybe for big chunks of games during the year go a little bit heavier with the two tight ends, um, leaning on Pacheco and using the receivers more to stretch the field and and dink and dunk in a way more so than that flashy Chiefs offense that you're used to. All they care, like we care about points and yardage. We, and we do. Have, all they care about is winning these games, and I think there is Shame. a theory that. Andy Reid could lean into the tight ends more so than the receivers. You're saying what you're saying, P, is Noah Gray over Travis Kelsey. I get. I get. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna, let, let's put on record that, that no, certainly not. Uh, obviously, continue to take Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes are quite obviously the two f- safest fantasy options. But if you're reaching, I think uh, Gray is, Gray's a, a fair dart to throw late late in the game. Yeah, good stuff. I don't know what happened to the Chiefs culture. All they care about is winning. <laughs> Win with, with style. It doesn't matter yeah, if it's right. not with style. That's right. Pete, we'll let you get out of here. I know you got to get to your media availability. You are at PG Sween on what I used to be called Twitter. I X. don't know. Uh, yeah. Where, X going to give it to you. Yeah. That's yeah. But where can everyone find you? I mean, I, I know you from Arrowhead pride, but it seems like you're all over the place these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Arrowheadpride.com is where you can find our, our chiefs coverage. I, I do stuff for 610 sports radio locally in Kansas city, which you can get online. NBC, NBC locally, KSHB, which you can get online. Uh, Arrowhead pride in my, tw- in my Twitter or X uh, slash PG Sween is the best uh, place to find uh, most of that stuff. I usually will repost anywhere that I that I pop up. So I appreciate you guys having uh, me on. I hope you hope you guys learned something from from Chiefs Camp here. We did a few things we didn't want to learn, but that's <laughs> yeah. so. Thanks, Pete. Pete, thank you so much for taking the time. You can All get right, back guys. to work now. Uh, Denny and I can get back to clowning around and. Me just sitting on the edge of the seat, wondering about my internet is fast enough. I just yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sweating for your internet. I, I'm sweating bullets over here. But the connection is uh, always a, a little bit uh, iffy right now. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens with that. And I'm sorry that I'm talking about that every show, but I don't Denny Noah Gray. I mean, that was well, problematic. You know, yeah, I don't I don't love to hear that, no. but you know, and I don't like the CEH stuff. No, thank you. No, thank no. you. I, I just, please just don't tell me that, Pete. But no, no, I, I, the, the Noah Gray thing makes sense. Andy Reid talks about Noah Gray like Bill Belichick talks about a third-string special teamer. I mean, just with adoration for Noah Gray. I mean, Pete kind of – he didn't directly get it. Th- he kind of directly and indirectly got at it. Is what if the answer in the Chiefs receiver core is just nobody? And more than ever, they just play this, like, point guard-type offense where Pat Mahomes is just distributing the ball right. to whoever happens to be open. There's no go-to guy. 
it's this the sprawling committee of pass catchers and we might not get any clean easy answers especially in training camp maybe something will develop as the season goes along it's, it's hard to accept when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback right that there's not going to be guaranteed fantasy points for more than one pass catcher right with the one being Travis Kelsey it's just a crazy uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we feel like rightfully compelled to search for the other guy. Like yeah. there has to be one other guy, right? It's got to be Tony. It's got to be Sky Moore. You know, and I, we talked about Tony's injuries about, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. And I said that because of that, and I, I'm not an injury prone guy. Okay, I'm not I'm not out here saying you can't draft Cooper Cup because he got hurt one time or twice, really. But, uh, but I, I am saying that the Tony thing freaks me out at his ADP. If I can just get Sky Moore, like I don't know what four or five rounds later, like it's it's a huge gap, and that gap will narrow. So I think now, if you're doing drafts now, best ball, whatever, now is the time to seize on that and get Sky Moore. And then the, it's also immediately time to seize on the mentality. Well, now Tony's just going to become a bargain. Um, <laughs> oh, I, no, I'm kind of out. Kind of out. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm kind of out too. But uh, then I'll be back in, and we will be. Not to. We'll be right back after this. With the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Rotorold Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use promo code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout. That is NBCSports.com slash draft guide with promo code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You know who else saved 20% at checkout, Denny? Who, who did? Uh, was the Chargers when they hired Joe Lombardi. They were they were going for a bargain, an offensive coordinator. Instead of thinking forward, trying to find like the next the great innovative play caller, didn't work. Didn't work. Justin Herbert just dinked and dunked for two years, and it was not yeah. fun at all. Yeah. Joe Lombardi's gone. Kellen Moore is in, who run have ran some of those explosive, efficient offenses in the entire NFL during his time in Dallas, despite Mike McCarthy trying to tie one hand behind his back. But yeah, it, it's 
very easy to get caught up in like narratives with play callers and coaching when right. it might just come down to the players and just what can we realistically expect from this Chargers offense as they swap out Joe Lombardi for Kellen Moore? Well, I mean, there have been several reports over the past 30 days or so saying that, you know, they're in, in mandatory minicamp and in other offseason practices that there's been a real focus on getting the ball downfield uh, to their pass catchers. Now, you know, Mike Williams not really known for getting open. Quentin Johnston, kind of the same issues. But I, I think that any any sort of offensive system that allows Justin Herbert to use his considerable arm strength, which is the which is the maddening thing, right? I mean, it's a we get we saw him dink and dunk like he was Drew Brees, like late career Drew Brees last year, and and he can throw it harder than almost anyone, maybe maybe anyone in the entire NFL. So you know, I think more of that. Will be will be really good for you know his fantasy upside. He kind of showed a floor last year, but we can finally we can finally get some upside. That's that's the main takeaway I think is being able to push the ball downfield and to get maybe a few hey who knows maybe a few long touchdowns for the Chargers this year. Can we get can we get that? Would be really nice, especially if you play in a distance scoring league or your home league like myself. And can't wait. We'd be remiss if we didn't remind our listeners for somehow like the 10th time this offseason that Jalen Guyton is coming back. Jalen Guyton, the key to the offense. The key to the offense. The key to at least stretching the field and helping out his fantasy brethren because Jalen Guyton will, of course, never be fantasy relevant. But we now have an offense with three guys with extremely impressive resumes where you have Keenan Allen, a former first-rounder Mike Williams now on a second contract, and you now have rookie first-rounder Quentin Johnston. Uh, but he's a first-round guy who's just a total afterthought in fantasy, basically. Yeah. Currently the wide receiver 41 on underdog. Right. I bet he's lower on fantasy football oh, calculator, yeah. um, which, you know, kind of takes the pulse of, like, the more home league-type drafting base. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think sleeping on Quentin Johnston might be a mistake and – We've gotten like a little too into the narrative. Like he's big and slow and yeah. maybe doesn't really play up to his size. I and mean, there is a reason he's a first round pick. What do you think about Quentin Johnson? Exactly. The no, I mean, th- those are all, yes, those are all, all really good points. And I, I, I find myself buying into those narratives and saying, uh, kind of writing him off. And I think that that is probably going to be at least a small mistake, if not a huge mistake down, uh, down the line. Look, I'm, I'm in on Justin Herbert uh, as, as an upside quarterback going after the elite options, the, the Hertz, the Allens, the uh, Mahomes I'm in on that, uh, on, on him. So therefore I feel I necessarily have to be kind of bullish on a Johnston. I have to be kind of bullish on a Gerald Everett. And I know that sounds kind of funny. <laughs> I can see, I think it's funny. Uh, but, but I, but you know, I, I do, I, I do think that if, if Herbert's going to have a big year, it's not just going to be Keenan Allen and catching a bunch of seven yard passes, you know? No, that's a very good point. And hopefully Keenan Allen do another. It's weird because Keenan Allen is like the dink and dunk guy, and we were complaining about how much Justin Herbert dinked and dunked last year, but he could have dinked and dunked a lot more effectively the first two-thirds of the season had Keenan Allen been healthy. Yes. He is healthy right now. Hopefully they have a plan to somehow keep his hamstrings healthy. You know, guys always kind of have those problems, and, of course, not getting any younger. I mean, Mike Williams – like there's not even a discourse around Mike Williams because it's all about Keenan Allen's health. It's all about Quentin Johnston's profile. Right. I mean, was Mike Williams. I mean, he was, a, was, it, was it last year where he was like a wide receiver one for a while? Or was that two years ago? I don't even remember. Just, it's hard to say. Is there, do you have an opinion on Mike Williams? 
I, I mean, I guess, you know, he falls into the category of guys who I probably need to be drafting at ADP. And especially if he starts falling a little bit, um, even though his injury history stinks. And it, unfortunately, because he's a great player, he's fun to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, typically he's, he's kind of uh, volatile with the scoring because of the kind of targets he gets. You know, he's he's not Mike Williams has never really been able to smooth out that production with, uh, you know, some some short area targets that can make sure that, you know, on on down days, on the days when he doesn't catch the 50 yard pass down the sideline, he can still be OK, be a wide receiver two or three for you uh, in fantasy. So uh, feast or famine, that's kind of been his thing. Hopefully he can smooth that over a little bit. But sure, I mean, I, I like I really I do think that Kellen Moore clearly, clearly knows what he has in Justin Herbert. So if you like Herbert, like me, then man, I mean, Mike Williams kind of kind of looks like a good target. Any other bolts pass catchers we need to be in on? You mentioned Gerald Everett. Yeah, and it is Gerald Everett, apparently one of the most frustrating players in the NFL because he he flashes his unique playmaking ability. Then he flashes the reason why he's kind of become a journeyman, why he's never exploded in fantasy. He makes a lot of mistakes. Is not consistent. More upside with Kellen Moore, question mark, or should we just kind of give up the ghost with Gerald know. Everett? I, look, I, I think if you are fading the the elite tight ends, the Kelsey's, pretty much Kelsey and Andrews and Hawkinson. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. And if you're not going in on Kyle Pitts at his depressed ADP, which again I do like that, then yeah, I mean a guy like Everett, you you pick in honestly like the the last round, the second to last round of your home league draft. And I think I think that he he has as good a chance as any late round tight end of being a plug and play guy, uh, especially if this Chargers offense is is pass first, is more pass heavy. We're going to have more targets to go around, and Everett, you know, if, if he's used like last year, he's going to be running a large percentage of the pass routes in this offense. And we know when it comes to the running game that Austin Eckler is disgruntled. We also know. He's as elite as it gets in fantasy football. We're not really worried about him despite the contract situation. No. Uh, still anything whatsoever to be excited about behind Austin Eckler. No additions really of no. Did they sign it? I can't remember. Did they sign a guy? I wanted them to sign Damian Harris. I always think they signed right. Damian Harris because I wanted them to. They did <laughs> you not. Tried to, you tried to will that into existence. I did try to, to manifest that into existence. Did, uh, did they sign Sonny Michelle? They did sign Sonny Michelle. I believe maybe he's already been cut, though. Oh, oh well. I'm not even kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> or maybe was that last year that he was on the the Chargers? Uh, I'm going to let you. Website let you do called, that uh, to uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's see. What, what's Sonny Michelle Wikipedia? I'm literally done. <laughs> Let's read about his high school. Sonny Michelle is on a team. Can you guess what team he's on? Oh it, well, it's one of the LA teams. It's it is. On the, he's on the Rams. He's yeah. on the Rams. I mean, he always plays for an LA team. He's like, back home know. with the Rams, and it was last year that he was on the Chargers. So. <laughs> yeah, we love our Sonny Michelle. He'll but never do not. He'll never not play for an LA team. We don't love our Isaiah Spiller. We don't love our Larry Roundtree, despite what he did for our no. Missouri Tigers. Josh Kelly's still there, but yeah, there's just there's nothing doing behind Austin, which is crazy. Austin Eckler. You know, it's talking about the importance of elite running backs, which can be heavily debated, of course. The Chargers keep think keep proving the importance of having running back depth. Yeah. I think it does hurt them that they don't have a settled role, that they're always 
just playing musical chairs and getting like 2.1 yards per carry behind Austin Eckler. It's a situation they've needed to figure out for a while. It, it's the worst running back room in the NFL behind Austin yes. Eckler. I, yes. I think that Not we, anymore. I think we can say that pretty definitively. I mean, you put someone like, I don't know, Devin Singletary behind Eckler and it becomes like a vastly improved backfield, which is saying something, um, you know, our, our former colleague and good friend, uh, Patrick Corain believes that uh, uncle Lenny Leonard Fournette, is going to land with the Chargers, so we have to keep an eye on that. What would that do to to Eckler's pass catching? Yeah, that's kind of Lenny's thing these days. I don't, I don't think it w- it would be very good for Eckler. Like, like no. when he said that, I, you know, I I, I went on his uh, live stream, best ball live stream last week, and and he said it, and I said, no, I don't want to hear that. Stop with this Uncle Lenny stuff. I, I, you know, I want Eckler to have the whole pie, you know, whole backfield pie, and Leonard Fournette for as frustrating as he has been as a fantasy uh, uh, you know, producer, he also would, I think, take a chunk of, of that Eckler workload. He would. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. That would be bad. Um, it wouldn't be good. We, we, do, we do not want someone who catches passes behind um, Mr. Austin Eckler. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens with the Las Vegas Raiders right after this. It's a star-studded battle this Sunday on MLB leadoff as Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Angels travel north of the border to face Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the Toronto Blue Jays. Find out if there will be fireworks at Rogers Center at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, mm-hmm. exclusively on Peacock. That is this upcoming uh, upcoming Sunday. I can't speak because I'm so excited about the game. I actually am. I have Shohei Otani in my home league. Gonna need some early homers. Sunday's always a big day, Denny. That was, you know what? From my expert opinion, that was a good pick by you. It was a good pick. Picking the guy who hits all the the ding dongs, all the taters, uh, all the bombs. Yes, the possibly the greatest baseball player to ever play. You have him on your team, and that's good. Possibly the yeah, he's uh, you know some people think are getting a little ahead of themselves with that. But really, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's the most unique for sure. Sure. Can I tell you something that makes me feel old, Pat? Is that Vlad Guerrero Jr. is now a grizzled veteran? I know. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I know. When did that happen? I don't know. Vladimir Guerrero uh, III is currently a rising prospect in the San Diego Padres system, too. <laughs> you're, so, I mean, yeah. but you're probably not even joking. Like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, yeah, the, the, the Vlad Guerrero III is, is playing, you know, third base by next year. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll see about that. We're gonna follow that very closely, very powerfully. Um, Denny, as my internet uh, continues to tumble, oh, yeah. tell us about the Las Vegas Raiders. Is this sure. is this going nowhere fast? And if I disappear for a second, just keep filibustering, keep talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. I will miss you as you disappear. But I will say this about the Raiders: uh, the the quarterback situation. I said this on Twitter the other day, and the more I thought about it, the more it felt less hot takey, which is that. Even with Jimmy Garoppolo at full health, which I, I guess he is, according to reports, is you know he he originally was going either was going to or did fail his physical coming to the Raiders. He seems to be okay now with the foot foot situation, but that quarterback room for the Raiders has to be the worst in the entire NFL. I can't think of a worse one. I racked my brain yesterday, and maybe Pat will have some thoughts in a moment here on a, co- a quarterback room that is worse. But you have. You have Garoppolo, a banged up old Garoppolo. You have behind him some combination of Brian Hoyer, who is probably the worst quarterback in the NFL right now. Nothing against Brian Hoyer. He's 54 years old. Okay. You, you can't expect much. 
And then you have, and then you have uh, Aiden O'Connell, the rookie out of Purdue, who by many measures, and I've looked into these numbers, was among the worst starting quarterbacks in major college football in 2022. So really bad. You do have one Thomas Brady up in the owner's booth. So we, we have to remember that, but, but it, it, it can't be, it can't, it cannot be fantastic for Devonte Adams. I will say this about Devonte Adams is the perception is this is, this is, this is a bad situation. And I get that. So now you're getting him, you're able to get him at the top of the second round sometimes in 12 team leagues. I, I think there's, there's some cushion there and, and you, and you can and probably should use that cushion to get him. Uh, he, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to be able to start your draft with say, uh, I don't know, CD lamb and Devonte Adams. And the reason I think, I think Adams can be okay in 2023 is because we, we, me, uh, thought, you know, largely the same thing about last, last year, last August, we were talking about, uh, Derek Carr is the king of dinking and dunking. He's never going to throw it downfield to Devontae Adams. And that's what we need for Devontae Adams to really pay off his ADP, which was in the first round last summer. So, so no, we're all out on Devontae Adams because it's because Derek Carr, he doesn't, he doesn't throw it. We say the same thing now about Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, Derek Carr last year, if you look at his adjusted yards per attempt and his average depth of target, they were all, I believe career highs for a full season from, from Derek Carr. And that, that makes me think that, you know, those, the, those measurements, especially ADOT are really like a, a wide receiver influenced metric. Uh, and so when you have a dominant downfield force, like a Devonte Adams, uh, your ADOT is going to spike. So uh, maybe we'll, we'll see the same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. I guess the question, the question really is, um, do you think Derek Carr is better than Jimmy Garoppolo or vice versa? And if you, if you think that Jimmy Garoppolo is an upgrade on Derek Carr, then I'm sure, I guess, I guess you're all in, I guess you're all in on, on Devonte Adams and that, in that passing attack. I, I kind of think maybe, maybe Pat can chime in here uh, that Jimmy G is a significant downgrade from Derek Carr. I think Jimmy G has benefited from being in the most quarterback friendly system known to mankind in San Francisco. And I don't know if he can function the same way in with the Raiders. And by say, by, and when I say, I don't know, it means I, I highly doubt it. Yeah. My Devonta Adams take is he's going as the wide receiver eight to 10, very punitive. There is Jimmy D is being priced in, uh, but he hasn't even finished lower than the, he hasn't finished that low in fantasy since 2017 when he was the wide receiver nine. And it's basically like, do we think Jimmy Garoppolo is a doomsday event or do we think he's a downgrade? I think he's gotten too cheap, basically. Right. And the, the penalty has gotten a little too prohibitive, a little too severe. And that I'm not, he's basically the point where I am kind of interested in a cost where he's still the Raiders one good idea. Like what, what is their plan going to be? Uh, it's going to be just just feed targets to the right. Adam still, I, even with Jacoby Myers, even with Hunter Renfro somehow still on the team. I think it's gotten a little carried away. The hate with Devontae. I, I don't know. I don't know if I actually have the courage to draft him though. And like season long teams, I'm managing all year. I struggle. I really do struggle to to go in on Adams. But like I said, if you're getting him in the second round, it's hard to look away from a guy who, if he plays a full season, Devontae Adams is going to get 170 targets in that offense. There is the 
I feel like looming over the entire Raiders situation is like total catastrophe. Is like McDaniel's getting fired, like huge shakeups in the front office or wherever. I, I, you know, because th- this is a bad, bad team and a bad organization, terrible organization. The Raiders will never be good. Okay, I'm sorry to Raiders fans. Your Raiders will never be good for as long as they have this ownership. So, you know, it, it, that could affect Devontae Adams. That sort of dysfunction could affect him. All that's hanging over Josh Jacobs, too, who is only has one option. It's either sign his franchise tag and play this year or hold out uh, and not get paid. Because a long-term deal cannot be agreed to at this point. July 18th or whatever was the deadline. So that cake is baked. Are we? I, the best guess is that Josh Jacobs skips most of camp, reports late, probably does play week one, maybe misses week yeah. one, misses one game check. Uh, he's a guy who, again, has been faded, I feel like, way too far in fantasy if – we knew he was. He had a normal situation. If he was already there practicing, how worried do we really need to be about like, missing some of training camp? Yeah, that kind of thing. I I'm not not worried. I mean, it was reported today that you know, like Nick Cage, folks, he was leaving Las Vegas. All right, I know the, the Zoomers will get Yikes. that. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, in a, in a better mental state than Nick Cage in that movie. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so so I'm I, I'm drafting Zamir White, the RB two for Vegas, and kind of waiting, monitoring very closely this situation. Josh Jacobs to me seems everything he has said and done through the past three or four weeks has said that he means business. And I feel like with Saquon Barkley, you could maybe say the same thing, but there, but Saquon always always sort of buffers what he says. Uh, and it, is it well, well? I could do this, but I probably won't. But Josh Jacobs, I feel like the probably won't is not quite there yet. So I, we could see him miss time, I think. Good. And I mean, is, is it still like a value opportunity? Everyone's scared, you know, Josh Jacobs. And anecdotally, we know holdouts, it seems like seem to have poor years. I'm sure there have been, I'm sure there have been some studies done on this, but yeah. Uh, I mean, could he become a, just the, the worry goes too far, as it always does. Worry never seems to go just far enough in fantasy, it always seems to go too far. Will Josh Jacobs ever be a value for you, Denny? I mean, it's I, I I get it. I get the fear. Okay, the blood in the water. All right, because uh, you don't want to spend a third or fourth round pick on a guy who's not going to play. I mean, that's that's a that's a monster hole in your roster. Like, I don't really know if you can recover from that unless you also get Samir White, and Samir White is incredible um, for a horrible Raiders team. Uh, I, I guess that would be the way you would save that situation. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's a, there's a probably a good chance, Pat, that the fear around Josh Jacobs will go too far and people will get great value on him before some sort of a deal is worked out. You know, I mean, some agreement is made so that he gets back on the field, back on the practice field, hopefully on the field for week one. It's such a tricky situation because they can't do an extension at this point. They can't. I feel like the NFL really needs to change that rule, by the way. <laughs> they they uh, really do. Like yeah. Why is that the franchise tag rule? It doesn't really make any sense yeah. at all. But I, you, I, I know you're not like Crane when it comes to drafting best ball teams. Do you have any Josh Jacobs in best ball or no? No, yeah, I'm not I'm not a high-volume uh, best ball drafter. But I've, I've done, I don't know, I've probably done 15 to 20, somewhere in there. And uh, I do not have Josh Jacobs anywhere. Um, and that, it doesn't have to do with me like writing him off as an option. I guess it just has to do with 
the wide receiver avalanche, as the Zoomers are calling it on underdog, and uh, being afraid of getting buried under that avalanche. So, you know, therefore passing by uh, uh, Josh Jacobs. Uh, but, thing, you know, things will be very different when you're drafting in your casual league, depending on this, the contract situation. And you could get a great, great value on Jacobs. Anyone else? Do we care about any single other skill player in this team? I mean, got interesting. I mean, Jacoby Myers is a fantasy viable player, or at least he should be. Like yeah. he, he feels so redundant with Devontae Adams. I mean, I, what's even going to happen if Hunter Renfro remains on this team? Uh, the rookie mayor at tight end, almost a first round pick. Who else, if anyone, do we care about behind Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs? I mean, I, I really like the way that Hunter Renfro fits in this offense, the system, and also with Jimmy Garoppolo, who, you know, loves loves the check down. You know, we 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 know that about old Jimmy G. And by the way, Jimmy G with like a head full of gray hair is freaking me out, man. Like, like, like 18 months ago, he looked he looked as young as any quarterback in the league, and now he looks like his own father. Uh so you know, Jimmy G. It's, you're um, freaking me out. Uh, I believe that's called signs with the Raiders once. <laughs> and now he has silver and black hair. It's weird. It's weird. I will say, but uh, uh, yeah, the athletics to Sean Reed uh, reported recently that the team has not received any trade offers for Hunter Renfro, even, not even from the giants who, who certainly love their uh, <laughs> slot receivers. Um, but that, you know, there, there is the, idea i guess floating out there that they could just part ways with renfro in the coming weeks um so i guess if you're drafting him hoping that he's a dump down uh, dump off option for jimmy garoppolo i guess maybe that doesn't that doesn't work out who does that leave i, I get i guess jacoby myers do you have any interest in michael mayer the number 35 overall pick like you said essentially a first rounder uh, I mean, Josh McDaniels has a lot of experience with offenses that heavily target the tight end. It was Hall of Fame type talents for yeah. a lot of years in New England. But I mean, any interest in yeah. Michael Mayer? Or is this is this this dysfunctional situation? Are we looking for reasons to stay away rather than reasons to get in? No, I mean, especially like as you know, you can get Mike. Uh, you can you can get Michael Mayer for uh, I don't know a last second to last round pick right now in 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 most leagues. Um, you know, interestingly, the Raiders list Mayor as the as, as the tight end two on their depth chart behind the immortal and eternal Austin Hooper. Uh, so we we do have to kind of keep keep an eye on that a little bit. There's, you know, OJ Howard's in there. I know, I know, everybody would roll their eyes at that, but but really, I mean, Mayor could be competing for snaps and routes in a way that we don't really want to see. So I, I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, it's just. I just feel like it's really, really hard as you've laid out to shake the train wreck feeling here. Yeah. But there will be no goodness in Las Vegas and that it feels like this has been a rock bottom situation, but that there's still further to fall. So. Oh, there's so, there's so much further to fall. Like I, I there's like a, a decent chance. I think the Raiders are making huge changes by mid season uh, just because things are falling apart. This is a really, really bad situation. Still not sure, not entirely positive what Devontae Adams was thinking going from the, one of the most stable organizations in sports to the Raiders. So we, we still have to look in on that. Yeah, I believe that was called Devontae Adams gets in his feelings once, didn't he? And, yeah, I think um, he got his feelings were hurt. And he altered NFL history. I'm going to alter Rotoro football show history and 
going to leave the show. Denny Carter's going to interview ABC Denver's Troy Rank. I yeah. will continue my one-man legal campaign against Charter Communications. <laughs> I, I wish you luck, man. All right, folks, it's just me and Troy Rank. Uh, Troy, thank you for joining us today on the Roto, Roto World Football Show. Sorry that Pat Doherty had to drop out. His uh, internet is not cooperating. Yeah, I've been there. No problems. Glad to be here. Yeah, uh, you can find Troy uh, at Troy Rank, R-E-N-C-K. I do have that last name right, right, Troy? Yeah, yeah you've got okay. it pronounced right. Most don't get it right. You you nailed it. All right. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Troy, I wanted to start just just quickly with a, with a non-fantasy football question. Uh, what what are the biggest differences to you around the Broncos this offseason under head coach Sean Payton, you know, compared, especially compared to how things were under Nathaniel Hackett this time last year? Well, I think the easiest way to explain it is that last year was Sesame Street. This year is Compete Street. Right. <laughs> There's actually a sign that says Compete Street that Sean Payton had installed in the sidewalk as you walk out of the locker room. Last year was chaotic. Listen, uh, Hackett had a caffeinated personality. We wanted the offense, the young, youthful energy, everything about it. He was over his skis, and he had a very underwhelming coaching staff outside of Coach Evero on the defensive side and a couple other guys. They yeah. just were over their skis and swimming from jump. Russell Wilson had too much power. It, pretty much anything that could have gone wrong did. It was a complete mm -hmm. tire fire. The difference with Sean Payton, and I covered Mike Shanahan, is just the attention to detail in every facet, from special teams to red zone football to situational football. Camp will look different again. You're going to see seven on seven again. You're going to see more days in pads. It's yeah. more of that Bill Parcells approach. You know, Peyton is a protege of Bill Parcells. So what's different? It's just it feels like just this juxtaposition from – a young, energetic coach, first-timer who really didn't know what he was doing and thought mm -hmm. the enthusiasm would get him through to a guy who did it for essentially a decade and a half who has a blueprint of how he's going to do it. And either you follow along or you get off the band, you get off the train because he's not waiting for anybody. That includes Russell Wilson. So the difference yeah. will be in the discipline and the attention to detail. Yeah, you, I mean, you talk about Russell Wilson. Obviously, that's kind of the central theme of this season after the you know catastrophic 2022 campaign for Russell he he played at least statistically and that's that's all we know in the fantasy football world statistically he actually did play a lot better over the season's final month excluding that christmas day massacre game <laughs> against the against the rams but beyond that i mean you know uh more productive as a rusher uh more productive downfield to Jerry Judy and others uh, was there was there a glimmer of hope there late in the season that you think might be able to carry over into this season? Yeah, once Jerry Rosberg took over, they went back to an offense that was more similar to what Russell ran in Seattle. Run-based offense, used the run to establish RPO, play action, bootlegs, deeper drop in the pocket so he can see downfield better. It was basically the Russell I had seen for a decade with the Seahawks, frankly. Those first 15 games or so, for much of it, they were running three wide, shotgun offense with backup offensive linemen, backup receivers. Russ just did not look comfortable at all. And they would go into the game with a game plan and then junk it by the middle of the first quarter with a bunch of guys who you know were reserves. It's just it was a mismatch, kind of an island of misfit toys. Rossberg takes over and says, we're just going to run the ball established a run and then pass off right. that. So yeah, it was encouraging because not only did we see Russell 
get back to the moon balls and the deep strikes, but he ran with efficiency. Now he's not only going to run probably four or six times a game, right. but even four for 32 yards or six for 40 yards, that's a big deal as you guys, you know, in fantasy league, you yeah. know that, but certainly it's a couple first downs a game. And so it was encouraging. Russell wanted Sean Payton as his coach. He's been humbled by last year. He's lost anywhere between 10 and 15 pounds. Mm. He's changed a little bit of how he does his offseason. He understands his legacies at stake. I think he's a Hall of Famer already, but if he has another season like last season, that's a you know a hard way to go out in your career where you just yeah. go straight down. But if he has a good year, they go to the playoffs, even at 9 and 8, 10 and 7, does wonders for his legacy to show that that last year was an outlier because statistically last year was an outlier. The concern Denny would be if you look at his last 24 games from when he came back from the finger injury in Seattle, that's 31 picks, 31 touchdowns, 16 picks. Two to one is not the ratio we're looking for. You want somewhere between three to one. And even in Sean Payton's last year in new Orleans, where they had a, you know, basically a parade of quarterbacks. I think there were 29 touchdowns, 13 picks. Russell should be able to be, you know, somewhere between 28, 31 and like 12 picks. Like uh-huh. if he should in this offense have a three to one touchdown to pick ratio, if he hasn't hit a regression, that's going to go like this. So I'm optimistic, sure. but like with everything with this team over the last six, seven years, they got to prove it. They've had six straight losing seasons, seven mm-hmm. years without a playoff berth. They're just improvement mode. As much as you'd like to give Russell the benefit of the doubt, it was mm-hmm. so bad last year. You just don't know exactly what you're going to get other than you you know there's going to be some improvement, but how much? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson, obviously, like a late, later round pick for fantasy. I think that folks are hoping for a, a, a bounce back, not only for him, but for the team's pass catchers. We could shift r- quickly over to the uh, Denver backfield where there's a lot of fantasy interest and intrigue and uh, honestly some anxiety about Javante Williams' uh, uh, knee issue. There have been... I don't know. Pay, the, according to Sean Payton, he may or may not be ready for uh, for Week One. Uh, Javante Williams seems bullish on his own health and his own progress. So even if even if he is Javante Williams is is fully back, you know, is, is recovered, is ready to go. Troy, what kind of workload could we expect for Javante going into the regular season? Yeah, it's tough for fantasy league owners because I think. Early in the season, Samaje Pirine is going to carry the load, and I, I believe they're going to ease Javante Williams back in to where October is where he could take over. So I could see Pirine as the starter, Javante Williams as the finisher this season. Because people don't, people don't realize it isn't until October he's a calendar year removed from ACL, PCL surgery, and other damage. And the history of running backs over the last decade who've had ACL surgery, that first year back, as fantasy league owners know, is not typically kind. You're looking at Jamal Charles, Adrian Peterson, maybe uh, Dalvin Cook. I mean, it's a small number who've come back and had the level of performance or better. Usually that first year back is a bit of a grind. But I talked to Javante a couple of weeks ago. He promised, you know, when I come back, he's going to be that Batman running style. Boom, pow, bang. Like he just runs with violent <laughs> intentions. Right. And he says that's the only way he knows. It's the only way he's going to be able to run. So yeah. I would expect them to ease him into it, Denny, to where if you're a fantasy league owner, don't bank on him getting, you know, 18, 20 carries that first game. I believe he's going to be healthy barring, you know, something in camp because he didn't start on the pup list as he predicted. Right. But being ready for the opener and being a 
bell cow for the opener are two different things. So I wouldn't expect to see him start to get 15, 20 carries until the end of the first month slash early October. That's just to be fair to the player. Now, I might see something different in training camp. With pads on, you might go, okay, he is ready. And just saying, history tells us to be cautious. So Samaje Piran might be a sneaky pick for someone late to get early that first month of the season. Yes. Then he turns into a third down back the second half of the season. Yeah, so that was my my follow-up here was about P. Ryan. Now, Sean Payton has had a lot of really nice things to say about P. Ryan, uh, who, you know, was was really good as Joe Mixon's replacement last year in Cincinnati. Uh, I think he showed enough to maybe be considered a three-down back in the, in the right situation. Uh, is there any chance that, that Sean Payton and the Broncos see him a, as that if Javante Williams – is not ready to go for the right in, in, in the regular season. Yeah, they obviously do. That's what Sean said. Now, again, he hasn't really done that since 17. I mean, again, you'd be leaning and looking way back into history, maybe needing a telescope to yeah. find the last time he was an every down three dead. It doesn't mean he can't do it. Just saying he hasn't. And the yeah. NFL, when it's been that kind of gap in between doing it, but you look at the body type, you look at, you know, basically he hasn't had a lot of tread off the tire the last few years. There's no reason he can't. I don't know that he could do it over 17 games. But to start the season and see him get 15 carries, if opening game, I wouldn't be surprised. They're going right. to run the football. Everything Sean Payton did this offseason with Ben Powers, Mike McGlinchey, bringing in a new line coach in Zach Streif. Yeah. When you look at Sean Payton's last five years in New Orleans, they were top 10 in almost every rushing category from attempts to yards per carry, red zone touchdowns. They're going to commit to the run to make Russell Wilson better in play action. So somebody's going to get those carries. And Pirine is the clear leader. They've got a couple young guys, Tyler Beatty, that might pop in camp. But I couldn't tell a fantasy league owner that without seeing camp because we just sure. haven't had any track record with these guys. But – P. Ryan for a month, five weeks makes so much sense. And then Javante again just starts to take over. The good news is Javante was in a platoon role with Melvin Gordon for two years. So right. he's familiar with this of how to you know be effective with 12 carries, how to be effective. And both guys are three down backs. They both are really good in pass pro. So I like uh, P. Ryan. I just, you know, to see him do it over the course of a season, I don't know. But could he be like Latavius Murray was, you know, for five, six sure. games? I, why not? You know, why not? He's built like that. He looks the part. He hasn't really been injured. I just, again, he hasn't done that role for a long time. We like, we like to say on this show that uh, Samaji P. Ryan has that dog in him. And I think, I think that maybe <laughs> you, would, you would agree if you see him on the practice field. Uh, shifting over to the wide receiver group here in Denver, uh, every coaching staff seems to love Tim Patrick. Uh, everybody has great things to say Tim, about Tim Patrick. Last year, uh, we had James Palmer saying Tim Patrick could be the leading wide receiver on this team. And then the next day, I believe it was, Tim Patrick went down with a season-ending injury. Where where does this uh, you know receiver room shake out for the Broncos behind Jerry Judy and behind Cortland Sutton? Or is Tim Patrick not behind those guys? Give us a lowdown on Tim Patrick. Yeah, James was right because last year – Russell Wilson's favorite target was Tim Patrick. And unfortunately, he tears his ACL early August, and he misses the entire year. This year, it's different. Jerry Judy's the guy. He proved it over the last five, six games of the season. He was one of the most productive receivers in the game over that last month. He 
shown he could be a number one. And more than that, Denny, he grew into it. You could see his confidence inflate. Pat Sertan, his Alabama teammate, told me, you know, Jerry just put his head down and just worked. He, like you could keep saying, I want the ball, but when you get it, make a difference. And he did. He yeah. was the number one. So for me, I project for Judy in this offense with between quick hitters and deep strikes, he should be at 1,200 yards and right around seven, eight touchdowns. That's who he is. And if you projected out what he did the last month of the season, he would be well over that. That's probably unfair, but there's no reason he can't be 1,200 and seven to eight scores. Then it goes to me to Tim Patrick, Mr. Reliable. He's as reliable as an old pickup. All he does is catch the football, and he makes big plays in the red zone. So if he's healthy, and again, his knee wasn't totally there yet in terms of his health in the offseason. You could see it wasn't that he was favoring it, but he wasn't explosive yet. So I want to see what it looks like in camp because the first month could be a filling out process for him as well. But I don't see a reason he can't be 750 and six touchdowns. That's Mm -hmm. the key with Patrick, especially with fantasy league owners. He's not going to give you big yards consistently, but he is in terms of a team that's been terrible offensively. He's one of the few guys that gets in the end zone. And that's the problem with Cortland Sutton. And people think I don't like Cortland Sutton. That's not true. It's just – He's got one touchdown in like his last 26 games or two. He just doesn't get in the end zone anymore. And he hasn't been the same since ACL surgery. He's been an NFL player and he's been serviceable, but he was a pro bowl before he blew out his knee. And so I don't know how Patrick and Sutton's receptions are, is one going to take over for the other and that's how it's going to work. Are they going to split? I don't, I don't know. And then you got to keep an eye on, Callaway, who has ties to the Saints, and Brandon Johnson is my sleeper in that wide receiver group because he was getting some first-team reps in the offseason. Again, what does that mean? I don't know because they weren't in pads. But mm-hmm. if you're talking about a sleeper of that group, Brandon Johnson is a guy I would keep an eye on if you're a fantasy league owner in the preseason to see where he's at because he might jump one of those other two guys where one of those other two guys becomes expendable. They tried to trade – all three of them basically this offseason, save for Patrick coming off knee surgery, mainly to get draft picks, but also Peyton was sending a message. Sure. He isn't particularly happy that they're paying their wide receiver room, I think second most in the NFL, and they're not getting the production. So he likes them, but he doesn't love them. They were made right. available. They didn't make a move, so they stay with Judy. I think he's going to be the clear one after that. It's going to be fascinating to me. And I just, if I knew Patrick was healthy, I would tell you. He's clearly the two for me. I just got to see the explosiveness come back. And until they get in pads, I can't answer that. All right. Yeah. Well, we are in on Jerry Judy for sure. Uh, Last question here for you, Troy. Uh, Sean Payton seemed to not be too familiar with Greg Dulcich, the tight end uh, rookie last year, uh, at least when Payton first got to Denver. Uh, Since then, he's brought in uh, Adam Troutman, who played for for Sean Payton uh, in New Orleans. Where where does Greg Dulcich stand in this pass catching group? And you know, do you think that you know we can project him in fantasy? Can we project him for an every down role, or is he more of a specialist here? I think he's going to end up being one of the top fifteen fantasy league tight ends okay. because of this is why. Like there was a little bit of a misconception that Peyton didn't like him because he was asked at the owner meetings in March, "What did you think of Greg Dulcich?" And he's like, "I couldn't even evaluate the film." That was a criticism of their just pathetic offense, not Dulcich. That was just like, I couldn't evaluate it because it was so bad and it was so, you know, just discombobulated. 
I don't even know what I was looking at. What was he Man. supposed to do? And so then you fast forward to the offseason. He's talking about Joe. He's talking about Dulcich in a Joker role that he used with Alvin Kamara, that he used with Darren Sproles. In other words, a mismatch guy in space that mm -hmm. you just kind of figure out where you line him up. I'm not saying he's Jimmy Graham, but you can figure out where to line him up, and he's just got to be functional enough as a blocker so he's not a tail when he's in there. You can't Every time he comes in, oh, it's a pass yes. play because this guy can't block. He's a willing blocker, so if he's functional, I think he'll end up in fantasy league guy as a guy who's going to be a top 50 tight end. There's not a lot of really good fantasy league tight ends, frankly. That's true. So can he catch 50 passes for 550, 600 yards and four scores, five scores? I think he can because – Sean Payton has in his mind how he can use him. He's one of the few players Payton talked about that way. Like, I see a vision for him. I have a vision for how he could work. Again, it's dependent on him yeah. being functional as a blocker. But Troutman, again, we could get into camp. Dulcich doesn't look good blocking at all. All of a sudden, Troutman's that guy. One of those tight ends is going to catch like 45, 50 passes, and it's made out for Dulcich to do it if he's functional in the running game. Troy, we appreciate that clarification because I remember that quote from Sean Payton. We couldn't evaluate the film, and I thought, "Oh, that that's not good for Dolphins." <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know what it meant, but it didn't seem good. But you know, if it was about Nathaniel Hackett's offense and kind of the dysfunction that defined it, I, I, I think that that's a totally uh, different ball game. Troy, thank you so much for joining us on the Roto World Football Show for bringing some clarity to the backfield. Uh, to giving us some hope for Russell Wilson. Uh, good luck in training camp and throughout the season this year. Yeah, it can't be worse. The average dead last in points. Yeah. They will not do that under Sean Payton. I am confident of that. So it's going to be better in that regard alone. All right. Thanks, Troy. See ya. All right, everybody. We're going to wrap it up. That was our AFC West uh, rundown preview, some would say. Uh, we're going to be back on Thursday. Uh, Patrick Doherty is looking very strongly. Uh, into getting a better internet connection. We are going to all hope and pray that that happens. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for joining us today. We hope you took away some some really key points uh, from the beat writers who joined us. And thank you uh, for those guys, uh, uh, Pete and Troy, for joining us today. We'll see you on Thursday. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips, and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.